You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. You may be seated. Ben, thank you so much. And Gospel Choir, you always make a home run. Maybe they should be in chapel every time we get to worship. But welcome to chapel this morning. It's so beautifully decorated. Uh, So for whoever decorated, thank you for making this place welcoming, this sacred space. It's my joy this morning to introduce our Embrace Conference speaker to you. Uh, But before that, I just want to remind us community that we are here to worship. We are here to find out why we matter, why you matter, why I matter, why we matter in the eyes of God. And we're also here to find out what is our purpose. In the act of worship and hearing the biblical text, we understand what God's intended purposes for you and I are. So I hope that as you receive our speaker this morning, that your hearts and your minds are opening to actually hearing God through Bishop Leonard Fairley. So let me just share with you briefly that Bishop Fairley comes to us as the Bishop of the Kentucky Annual Conference, any United Methodist in the house. He is a United, thank you, thank you for that UM presence here. Uh, It was a joy to be a part of the Kentucky Methodist, United Methodist delegation when Bishop was elected Bishop uh, back in 2016. He comes to us from the North Carolina area, so any North Carolinans here in the house? Bishop, you're at home. (laughs) Well, maybe this might change. Bishop comes to us as a graduate from Pfeiffer College and Duke University School of Divinity. Any Duke fans in the house? So so that is as much as a professional introduction I want to give to you, besides the fact that Bishop has served on several boards of the church through the North Carolina Conference. But what Bishop has done most in the time that I have had the opportunity of serving alongside as a member of the Kentucky Annual Conference is that he has opened his heart to the people of Kentucky He has wanted to hear their stories, he has wanted to know their struggles, and he has wanted to be in the gap to help people connect with God and help God connect with people. There is none other introduction that I would like to make besides what I just said, that here we have the opportunity of hearing from a man, from a person who submits himself to God's authority every day and hopes to make a big difference in the lives of those that he gets to interact. So it is a joy to welcome him to our podium once again and a delight to have his wife uh, Dawn with us as well. And so I invite you to please join us at the lunch uh, talk back from 12 to 1. But as Bishop gets ready to come up here, I just uh, have a sense that I would like to offer a word of prayer, if you would allow me. Gracious God, 
For so many years, we have come to this chapel. For so many years, so many of us have prayed and worshiped and hoped and longed that you will touch our lives. So gracious God, I ask you this day that as your word is spoken, that we will be transformed. That which we have longed to see, that which we have longed for you to make a difference in each of our lives, that it will happen under the authority of your word this morning. So open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts, and open our minds, Lord, to you, to you this morning, and help us to set aside, even if it is for a nanosecond, the troubles that continue to live with us. I ask this in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I bring you greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and on behalf of the whole people called United Methodists in the Kentucky Annual Conference and the Redbird Missionary Conference, I bring you greetings and to tell you what a joy it is to be with you on this day. Uh, you have been very people with a radical hospitality about you toward me and my wife Dawn. I don't know who picked Miss Barb to be our host out at Windsor House, but whoever picked her, that's a home run. <laughs> and just looking at that beautiful home and looking at the pictures and reading the signs that grace this beautiful facility, it reminds me in loud and clear ways of the global nature of the church. And when I think about that, I pray often as a bishop with the disciples, Lord, show us your kingdom. Show us, Lord, what your kingdom looks like. And as we have shared these few days with you, I understand clearly what that kingdom looks like. It doesn't look like a group of people who are perfect but it looks like a group of people who are somehow connected by the power of the Holy Spirit. People of different hues and different colors and different accents, but somehow the Holy Spirit has within its power to bind us together, reminding us over and over again of who we are, but more importantly, of whose we are. So, as a bishop, I pray for the state of the church. But when I look out at you, I don't despair. I know somehow that the church is in good hands. When I heard you last night in the choir and in the poetry, I'm going, thank you, Lord. You've got this. Even in the midst of darkness, Lord, somehow I believe you got this. And so when I hear you, and when I look out at you, that's what I see. I want to share the passage of Scripture that you have chosen for this conference. Again, nothing but the Holy Spirit could have inspired this team to come up with this passage 
to talk about mutuality and reconciliation. And hear these words from Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient and bearing one another in love. Make every effort, every effort, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to the hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father of us all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. And this is the Word of God for the people of God. And could you pray with me? And now, God, we simply ask that you would open our hearts and our minds and our souls so that we, your gathered people, might always receive your word with thanksgiving and with praise. And, O oh God, as always, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be found acceptable in your sight, my Lord and my Redeemer. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You know, somehow I think that we've always known that it is God's desire to redeem all of creation. And if liturgy is the work of the people, then reconciliation is the one great work that all of us are called to be about. And if there was any doubt about that, all we need to do is listen to the words of Paul. He makes this abundantly and audaciously clear when he writes these words at the beginning. As prisoners for the Lord, then I urge you, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, friends, outside of making passionate spiritual disciples who change the world, the work of embracing the ministry of reconciliation in this day and age, in this day of age of extreme political and racial and social and religious polarization. If there's any time in the life of the church when we must step up to the plate and be what God has called us to be and do those things that are pleasing in the sight of God and be the baptized believers who believe in God's grace, reconciliation, just might be our greatest work. And all of us are called to this necessary work. In fact, it is my belief that passionate spiritual discipleship 
has in its very DNA the ministry of reconciliation. And again, if we doubt this truth, just take a look at Paul's word to the church at Corinth. When he says, from now on, therefore, regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we no longer know him that way. So if anyone is in Christ Jesus, get this, they are a new creation. They act different. They live differently. They treat one another differently. They see through different eyes. And all of this is from God, who reconciled himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. And again, friends, if there's not any more greater work for the church to do, I don't know what it is. And friends, there could be no reconciliation with God unless there is reconciliation with your brother or your sister. For how can we say that we love God who we've never seen? and hate our brother and our sister who we see every day. There can be no reconciliation with God. We could sing and we can talk and we can preach and we can read scripture all we want to. But if there is no reconciliation between us, then all we're doing is playing a game. You see, Martin Luther King Jr. puts it this way, that we must all learn to live together as brothers and sisters or we will all perish together as fools. And I also hear this admonition in Jesus' prayer in the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John. What many scholars call Jesus' farewell discourse. It is Jesus' finally final speech to his disciples or, or his final prayer for his disciples and for the world before his agonizing death by crucifixion on a Roman cross. And you might say, what would a man be praying for when he knows that he is getting ready to be crucified? What would he be asking about? His prayer was dominated by a single thought that somehow, somehow, some way, the Holy Spirit would make his disciples one. And unity among a group of disciples who, like any human group, lives in tension and conflict. James and John were always fussing about who were going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Thomas openly doubted. Peter always had this impulse 
to speak before he thought about what he was saying and to leap before he looked. Judas had a secret agenda. And the last people in this world that you would thought would bring about reconciliation or any kind of unity would have been these folk. But Jesus took them and a few dedicated women and turned the world upside down. It's our turn. It's your turn. John the Baptist says that when Jesus comes to him, he says these words, I must decrease so that he must increase. Now, I might not look like it, but I'm getting old. And my time is going to be over. And it'll be your turn. And I urge you and challenge you when God calls you that you would do everything within your being to practice and to work toward reconciliation. That's my prayer. And if for the reconciliation is not something that we could do on our own, God has never asked us to do anything that he will not provide the grace and the power and the spirit to do. Now, I would, be, I would be troubled if the work of reconciliation was just left up to me and the way I feel sometimes. Because, you see, it's difficult to like some people sometimes. But Jesus says, I'm not asking you to like each other. I'm asking you to love each other. And love is stronger than like. And so I'm glad that it does not rest on my power alone. And so Paul gives us a number of values that, that through the empowerment and the encouragement and the equipping of the Holy Spirit that we can make progress in this journey toward embracing the work of reconciliation and mutuality to which we have been called. I think Jesus is reminding us and Paul is reminding us that this is not multiple choice. That we have no option if we are going to survive in this world and be the people God has called us to be. And if we are children of God and if we are redeemed, and I believe that by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are redeemed. And so if that is true, now is the time to start living as if that were true. So how should we live in this multicultural world of ours? How is reconciliation and mutuality possible in a world that, through technology, has grown so small, how is reconciliation possible? We have indeed inherited 
a warehouse. Again, in which we must learn to live together in a spirit of mutuality and interdependence. You see, I'll just spell it out for you like this. I can't be what I'm supposed to be unless you are what you're supposed to do and be. All of us, as Martin Luther King Jr. would say, are tied up in an inescapable network of mutuality. It is our calling. And if not the church, who? If not us, who? If not now, when? And so the church must take the lead. And we must be and do as Paul says it. We must be completely humble and gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love, keeping the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so you might ask, what in the world does humility have to do with the ministry of reconciliation? With humility, we see all people as beloved people of God. We see everybody as a potential son or daughter of Jesus Christ, and we should never withhold, withhold the word of God from that person. We don't know what work God might do in that person's life. It matters not what side of the tracks you come from. It matters not who your mama or daddy is, and I know that's not quite grammar. It doesn't matter where you come from. It is our work. It is our DNA. And so through humility, we begin to see people through different eyes, and, and we could somehow celebrate our uniqueness and our diversity as the gift that it is. We have allowed the world to hijack words like diversity and multiculturalism. We have invited the world to hijack them until they have almost become cold words. And so when you say diversity, everybody sneers up their nose and say, oh, here we go again. But in our DNA and in Scripture, it's always been so. We might have a problem with it, but God never will, and God never has. It is easy to despise or demonize someone we don't agree with. And, and I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't agree with everything my wife does or says, and I know she don't agree with everything I do or say. Because she tells me. Now, I try to keep my mouth closed, but she tells me. <laughs> but I love her beyond measure. I love her as the light and the joy of my life. I did not marry her because she was perfect. I married her because in my spiritual DNA, I believe that God has this ability to take covenant people and bind them together and do things in them that they could never do alone. It's our work. Did I tell you that it's in our DNA? You hear me say that over and over again. Whether we admit it or not, we all do it. 
we all harp on our differences instead of our similarities. We all try to make sure that people think like we do. But I'm glad that God is not like that. We are called to be in a spirit of humility. And Paul goes so far as to say sometimes that means even regarding others as better than yourselves. Come on, Lord, that's hard. But this isn't about us on our own. But it's about seeing the world with different eyes. But what does patience have to do with the ministry of reconciliation? I never will forget this, uh, reading this quote where this lady says, Lord, give me patience and give it to me now. <laughs> the work of reconciliation takes patience. It takes showing others patience. With patience, we are not so quick to condemn another person's culture. We take time to learn. We take time to listen. And a deeper willingness to walk in another person's shoes before we dismiss the other's language or culture. Walk in my shoes before you start judging me. I told this story last night. When I was in fourth grade, fourth or fifth grade, I was labeled as learning disabled because I was quiet. I know that's, that's, that's strange for you to hear now because you say he got a big mouth. But I was an introvert, I was quiet. And a teacher thought something was wrong with me. Until one day I was reading a book called Shackleton's Valiant Voyage and a teacher asked me, he picked the book up and said, can you tell me what's this about? And I begin to tell him. And he gets up and he says, come and go with me. And he takes me down to the guidance office and he says, you all have made a mistake. This child does not belong in this class. And all the teacher had to do was know who I was. Know where I came from. Know the poverty that I had endured to get an understanding of why I was quiet. You never know what's going on in a person's life until you hear that story without judgment and in patience and while listening. And a willingness to see with different eyes. Did I tell you this is our work? And in the work of reconciliation and mutuality, we must learn to bear one another in love. And remember, love is stronger than like. And so we love each other because God first loved us. I remember seeing a, a, a picture, and you've probably seen it, of a cartoon that says that, that God made me and God don't make no junk. When I look at it, you, I see men and women 
who I would feel left out of a great community if I didn't walk with you, if I didn't want to learn your story. It's impossible to sit at the table with another person and learn their story and get up and treat them different. That's why table fellowship in the gospel is so different and so unique. It's our work, this reconciliation work, and we can and we must practice this bearing one another in love. Because friends, as I begin to wrap this up, I want to tell you a couple of other things. That this is what unity, I'm not ready yet, I'll call y'all, just hold on, y'all come on up. You know I'm a preacher, so when I say let me take my time, you know it's on. And I just tell you, when a black preacher's preaching, give you a little, give you a little bit of uh, knowledge about where I come from. And when they say I'm about to conclude, that don't mean I'm getting ready to sit down. <laughs> you see, I got my shoes off and I'm home, so you in trouble. But I want to make sure that you understand this, that this is what unity and reconciliation looks and sounds like. It looks and sounds like Pentecost. A multitude of cultures and language hearing the good news as one and each in their own language. Unity sounds and looks like the resurrection itself, God's final word to all those isms and all those things that which separated God's final word of victory over death and sin and hatred and, and violence and oppression. You see, we are people who know the end of the story, and the end of the story looks nothing like the darkness we might be traveling through now. The end of the story looks like this marvelous light that is shown by Jesus Christ the rest of the story looks like that I could see the end, I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. The rest of the story looks like this, that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. The rest of the story looks like this, that God has not given us spirits of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. The rest of the story looks like this, that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us so. The rest of the story looks like this. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. The rest of the story looks like this, that God loved the world so much that God gave God's only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's what unity and reconciliation looks like. Reconciliation and unity looks like this. My first appointment to an all-white church in Raleigh. And I was leading a confirmation class with a group of young people between the ages of 12 and 13 and 14. And I was leading a section on baptism. And I never will forget this. I asked a question. I said, why is it that when we baptize a baby that we sometimes don't say that child's last name? We just say the first name. And William raised his hand. And he said, Pastor Leonard, I know why. 
And he says, because when we become baptized, we are part of God's family. And in God's family, there is no need for last names. And here I was. I was the Duke graduate. I, you knew I was going to get that in, I didn't. I was the Duke graduate. I was the designated religious person. I was supposed to be the scholar, but out of the mouth of a 12-year-old reminded me of our common story. And that thing shocked me so bad and it got to me. I say, William, could you please write that down? And two days later, I got a letter addressed to my house from William with those words in it. Have I said lately that it's in our DNA? It's a part of who we are as Christian men and women. This is our work. This is your work. Let's get to it and remind the world of who we are and whose we are. Come on, choir, I'm ready. Oh, come on, I'm ready now. And this is what the kingdom of God looks like, people. I want you to pay attention to what you're looking at. <laughs> 